Well, a big good morning to you. Welcome to all, and um, welcome to those who are watching online this morning. It's great to have you as well. You know, as we say, we like to connect with you, not your device. And so if you're watching online, uh, would you just take a moment and give us a shout out? Jump on the comment or chat, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube or our church online platform on our website, and um, I don't know, give us your name or an emoji or um, a hallelujah or, or something. Just give us something to let us know that you are with us. And all of us, whether you're here in the auditorium or whether you're online, uh, if you would, you can even go to our connection card uh, there on our website or Facebook or YouTube. You can find our connection card. It's super simple and easy just to let us know that you are here and you can put your name in there and just a couple things about yourself. And it's another way for us to connect um, very simply. So the reality is we don't care as much about our stats as we do about the people that are behind them. Um, so let's just take a moment at some point and let's make sure that we are all connected together. Now, we do appreciate you who are displaced this morning. There are some people that for the first time in 20 years weren't able to sit over here. And um, we do have counseling available for those who have had to shift uh, today from their usual seat. Thank you, Labiscos and others who weren't able to be over here this morning. Uh, we are reserving these for the second hour for our Lake Ann uh, staff and counselors, and there's going to be about 90 of them who will be with us in the second hour, and that is really going to be a treat. What a blessing that they were able to open up, even though for a shortened time and for fewer students, they're just looking for ministry, however they can get it, so we're really excited uh, for them. So Daniel in chapter 5, grab your copy of the scriptures, Daniel chapter 5, and um, however you can get there, if you have an electronic device, get there, Daniel chapter 5. Now, in my copy of the scriptures, there is about a quarter-inch gap between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. <clears throat> and let me tell you, in that quarter-inch, a lot happened. Now, at the end of Daniel 4, we hear Nebuchadnezzar's conversion story and his final words... And then he passes away. And in between Daniel 4 and 5, there are actually five kings that come to the throne in Babylon. Let me just give you a, a brief rundown of these. Um, <laughs> after a 43-year reign, Nebuchadnezzar dies. His reign is immediately followed by his son, Evil Merodach. Now, I'm not sure who named him. Um, he lived up to his name. He was a nasty king, and he lived for, or he reigned for two years over Babylon. And after those two years, he was assassinated by his brother in law, uh, Neriglasar. Now, Neriglasar, here's the ironic thing Neriglasar assassinated his brother in law. Neriglasar literally means, you ready for this? Protect the king. And he did not live up to his name. He assassinated the king, 
he ended up um, reigning for four years and was followed by his son, Labora Sorkad, who was an only child. He ended up reigning only nine months, and then a coup ended up developing and came along and... Um, and they conspired against him. They beat him to death after nine months of reign. And then Nabonidus came to the throne of Babylon and reigned for 17 years. And you know, after just hearing that, that was a, a very short time frame. After hearing that, does that make you feel a little bit better about our nation right now? <laughs> Really, what a crazy time of turmoil. Now, Nabonidus um, ended up, it looks like he probably took one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters in marriage because he had no connection to the throne as far as by lineage. And here's the problem, because most historical texts say Nabonidus was the last reigning king of Babylon. And I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on this. Most historical texts say Nabonidus, last historical king of Babylon. Look at Nebuchadnezzar, or um, look at Daniel 5, 1. Your text will read the same as mine. We start out with, who's the king there? Belshazzar. Who's Belshazzar? Many historians would say. Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. Who in the world is Belshazzar? And so there was a textual concern for some time with a number of different individuals. And this arose question about Daniel and his historicity. So I just wanted to, just to bring to you, in case if this was ever a question, here's how this has been brought to light. And it's really kind of amazing there was a question about this all the way up until about 1854. And, and what happened, um, there were four identical cylinders that were found by archaeologists in a temple that was rebuilt by Nabonidus. I just want to give you a little picture of what these were. These, are, these were, um, they were called the Nabonidus cylinders. These cylinders... Um, actually had cuneiform inscriptions in them, and this is what they said. As for me, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, save me from sinning against your great godhead. These were to his gods. And grant me as a present of lifelong of days. And as for Belshazzar, the eldest son my offspring, instill reverence for your great Godhead in his heart, and may he not commit any cultic mistake. May he be sated with a life of plentitude. And so in 1854, there were four identical cylinders, Nabonidus cylinders. In 1881, there as well was a cylinder that was found with a similar inscription that had an understanding of Belshazzar as Nabonidus' son. And so here's how this shook out. And it's kind of interesting. Nabonidus and Belshazzar were co-kings or co-regents of Babylon at this time. 
And it makes total sense when we come to the text, and I'm going to give you an indication of how we understand this. Because when we come to the text, there was a hand that came down and wrote on the wall, and Belshazzar wanted someone to come and interpret what the writing was. And when Belshazzar said, whoever interprets this for me, I'm going to let them be third highest in all of Babylon. And that makes total sense, because guess who the first two highest were? Nabonidus and Belshazzar. So let's get the history out of the way. That's how all of this shook out. That's how this came to be understood. And the references to being the son of Nebuchadnezzar make sense because this is typically understood in biblical writing as being the descendant or the successor to one, as many times people would say, Abraham, my father, even though they weren't the direct son of Abraham, but they were within the lineage. So enough historical background. Daniel 5, let's jump right into it. Daniel 5, 1 to 8. Let me read it for you. This is what happened. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king... <clears throat> And his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let your mind, let your mind's imagination just picture what happens from here down. Verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Can you just imagine that? And the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, diviners. Does this sound familiar? And he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So, the king, so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. So let's jump into it. There's some really neat understandings about God we're going to understand here this morning. So what was occurring at this particular time? Here's this big feast. Why the feast? What was going on behind the scenes? 
At this particular time, Darius, king of the Medes, and Cyrus, king of the Persians, were linked up together. They were attempting to conquer Babylon. They were outside of Babylon at this moment. And Belshazzar knew it. And here's how we know it, because Nabonidus actually went out to try to conquer them and couldn't. Nabonidus fled for his life. Belshazzar shut the doors, and inside of the city walls, they felt very secure, in fact, invincible. Let me just give you a picture. The walls of Babylon at that point in time were believed to be 40 to 50 feet tall, as high as the inside of this auditorium ceiling right here. They believed that they were three they were three layers of walls. There were three walls thick, and they were thick enough, like Jericho, that chariots could ride around on top. Babylon was believed to be 200 square miles, the size of the city of Chicago, and they had enough items in there that they could last for years without having to open up the gates. So they felt invincible at this point in time. So this was a statement. This feast was a statement of Belshazzar. They shut the gates. They had a canal coming in. They had water. They had all the food inside. They felt invincible. And Belshazzar said, I know that Darius and Cyrus are out there. We're invincible. No one can touch us. Just try. But while they're out there, let's have a feast. Let's drink it up and hoop it up. I think we're just fine. And while they were doing that, God decided, I'm going to reach in and communicate with Belshazzar. So let's talk about this for a couple moments. I'm not sure how familiar you are with this passage. Probably some have heard this before. The fingers come in, they write on the wall. The wise men can't understand it. Finally, they bring in Daniel. Daniel interprets it, and we're going to get to what this is, but I want to tell you what it tells us about God. And here's what it tells us. And it's going to tell us this in three specific ways. There, there's this primary action that happens at the very end of the passage, and it tells us something about God from three different scriptures and here's what it is, like it or not, like it or not, God always keeps his word. Like it or not, God always keeps his word. Jump down to verse 22. Here's how this passage shakes out. Verse 22 Daniel mentions to Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself. Verse 23, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You brought in the goblets from his temple. Verse 24, therefore you set the hand that wrote the inscription. And here's the inscription, verse 25. Meeny, meeny, tico, parson. And here's what they mean. Meaning God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You're done. Tico, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. 
Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persian. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, and here's the big deal, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Let's wade into this. There's three things I've got to get, get through here this morning that we need to understand about God. Like it or not, God always keeps his word. So here's the first one to Belshazzar. To the proud to Belshazzar, to the proud, for Babylon and Belshazzar, they were undefeated. Their unscalable triple walls were a wonder. No one could rival them. They stored up supplies that looked like no one could touch them. They had the gold goblets from the temple of God in Jerusalem. They would drink from them. Belshazzar and Babylon were proud. They felt invincible. Whenever I hear this, I always think about one of my favorite stories from the Civil War. Listen to this one. During the Battle of Wilderness in the Civil War, Union General John Sedwick was inspecting his troops. And at one point, he came to a parapet, and he looked over the parapet in the direction of the enemy and his officers around him said, that is not wise. You should duck down while passing the parapet. Nonsense, snapped the general. Those people couldn't hit an elephant from this far up. And that was the end of him. That's what happened to Belshazzar. God's hand came down and wrote on the wall, Meanie, Meanie, Tikal, Parson, your time is up. I'm done. I'm done with you. And at the time his hand was writing, his hand also was engaging. Darius and Cyrus underneath the walls who had diverted a water canal and they could actually go through the wall and they came out the other side and that very night they overtook Babylon and they killed Belshazzar and it was the very end of him. And this is the expression, folks. This is not just a Christian expression. This is a global expression where people now say across the world, the handwriting is, it is. Everyone says it. The handwriting is on the wall. And we learn from this, God keeps his word. Even if people feel they're invincible to the proud who feel they can do their own thing. God says, I resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar says, let those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. 
The scriptures say there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is the way of death. And if people think I can do my own thing, I can go my own way, it's going to turn out the way I want. I know I'll be just fine. Just ask Belshazzar. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And for the proud, we need to remember God keeps his word. It's time to give up. It's time to give in. It never worked from the garden all the way up until now, and it's not going to work any other time. We need to go with God. We need to go with his word and not against it. Here's number two. I know the word Daniel 5. Here's the very passage that relates to this. Could you bump back to Daniel chapter 2? This is really special. Daniel chapter 2. God keeps his word. Not only for that moment, and I know that that's significant because we look at Belshazzar and we say, you know what? There it is. There was God's judgment where God looked down and said, I'm done with you, Belshazzar. That's the end. And God did keep his word there. But let me tell you another way God kept his word in Daniel chapter 2. Because this very moment where the Medes and the Persians came in and defeated Babylon was a fulfillment of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel 2. And if you were with us and if you were awake... You'll remember this. And here's Daniel's interpretation of it, verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, verse 37, you're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind, the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. Verse 39. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Here is that next kingdom. This is 65 years later from when Daniel stood before the king and said, King, this is going to happen. And despite how Daniel looked on the flannel graph when you were in Sunday school as a kid, he's 84 years old at this point in time. And he's evidence... That God keeps his word to Daniel, to those who are waiting. Nebuchadnezzar was dead now 23 years. Daniel was 84. He interpreted this almost 65, 70 years beforehand. And this is the fulfillment of that Dream, And I know that Daniel seems to be a happening book, miracles in every chapter, but do you realize 
There could be decades between each miracle. He could have gone 20 or 30 years of silence where he just faithfully trusted and obeyed and believed God between each event of his life. And he was in that waiting time the whole way through. And to those who say it's been a long road, to those who are in the waiting, that's Daniel. That is Daniel. To those who wonder, does it really pay to stay obedient? Does it really pay to stay faithful to God? Well, let me give you the perspective of Daniel. That here, after all of these years, it sounds just like what Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He saw that God does keep his word, even if we wonder, has he forgotten? Does he still know I'm here? Does he still know this is going on? God keeps his word. Reminds me of um, story. Uh, when I was growing up, I had an uncle Larry. It's my mom's brother. And he didn't, he didn't really have much of a, of, a, of a believing background at all. In fact, he was fine without God. And I remember my mom was really, really heartbroken to see him believe in Jesus. And, and every time we would go down to New Jersey to visit him, he was the fun uncle. I mean, we had a blast with him, and we really had a heartbeat for him. Um, fun and kind of scary, too. I, I remember going into his kitchen. He had this kitchen witch. I, I have no idea where he found that, but he says, go pull on the string, and I'd pull on the string, and it would it spit at me, and then it, then it laughed and scared us half to death, and then um, I could tell you a bunch of stories. He taught me how to swim. He just picked me up and threw me in the pool, and uh, I, I'm not, I can't go any farther. Um, and my mom prayed for him day after day after day after day after day. And I do remember being in our house one night where my mom and dad pulled all the kids in the bedroom and they said, Uncle Larry had a heart attack. And he's in the hospital. And we need to pray for him. And we were six hours removed. And they called a pastor friend down there in New Jersey who went and visited him. And the next night we got a call from Uncle Larry. And he's, and he, he's talking to us. He says, I don't even know how to explain this to you guys. But I now understand everything you've been trying to tell me for all these years. He says, the only way I can explain it is I've got Jesus. And three weeks later, he died. It was about a 20-year turnaround of my mom praying for him.
If you wonder what it's like to wait, we could ask Abraham or Noah or Joseph. I think oftentimes in the Christian faith we realize that it's not always an insta-promise. You know, hey, I get it like that. You know, it's not a presto magnifico, boom, I get whatever I want. Oftentimes there is a waiting and for us, like for Daniel and for like many in the scriptures, we need to remember that God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. I want to give you one last one. And this one rocked me. And it's all the same event. It's all that same event at the end of Daniel 5 where God kept his word to Belshazzar, I'm going to take your life, and boom, he did. To Daniel, three chapters earlier, there's going to be a change of the guards in Babylon, and it happened. And then this one is in Isaiah 44, and I've got to show you this. I'm going to put up some verses on the screen if you don't have time to turn. But I need to show you this because this is 175 years before this event. It's 175 years before Daniel. Daniel didn't exist yet. Nebuchadnezzar didn't exist. Belshazzar didn't exist. Cyrus didn't exist. Darius didn't exist. None of this. None of these characters were on the scene yet. And Isaiah prophesied by the Lord that Israel and Judah would be taken by Babylon and they would be a hurting country and they would need to be delivered from Babylon. And how in the world would that happen? How would their city ever be restored? How would people ever come back? Well, I want to show you a few verses. It just blew my mind. Folks, remember, this is 175 years before this event. Isaiah 44, 25 and 26. Look at these verses. Now, does this sound familiar to Daniel? Here's God saying, Who foils the signs of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, and overthrows the learning of the wise. Yeah. Turns it into nonsense. Who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. Yeah, that happened in Daniel. But look at verses 28 through 45, verse 1. This blew my mind. Who was going to come and help out Israel and Judah? Look who God says. Who says of Cyrus? Cyrus is the king of Persia. Darius of the Medes, Cyrus of Persia. 
Together they came and conquered Babylon. We're going to see Cyrus in just a couple chapters. And God names him before he's even born in Isaiah 44 and 45, who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundation be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Look at verse 13 of chapter 45. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. 175 years before this event in Babylon, before any of these people were born, God calls out the person by name that he will choose to raise up to come and rescue his people from their ruin. And he wasn't even a believer. And so we see God keeps his word and here it's to Jerusalem in this one event. In Daniel 5, in this one event, he kept his word to Jerusalem to those needing rescue. I'm sending someone, and I already named him back in Isaiah 44 and 45, and here he comes. To those who say, I'm far from God, and I'm sure like Jerusalem, we're broken. How could we ever rebuild Or for people's lives, I've made mistakes. I don't feel God could ever accept me or forgive me or turn my life around. I mean, that's Jerusalem right here. How could we ever get this place back in order? I'm too far gone. Well, here's the beauty of it. God is a redeeming God. He is a restoring God. And Cyrus is coming. Can we grab this right here? Cyrus's coming wasn't just to defeat Belshazzar, it was to restore Jerusalem. Can you get that one? It wasn't just to defeat Belshazzar. God's program ultimately was to restore Jerusalem. That's the beauty of this whole picture. And it tells us, folks, God always keeps his word. And so he ends with a couple verses in Isaiah 40 or, uh, 45. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He will be, never be put to shame or disgraced. And then he mentions, but all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. God always keeps his word. I just want to finish with this. You know what? God sent someone better than Cyrus to be our Redeemer. Amen? Much better than Cyrus. And it's Jesus. He bore our punishment for our sin when he clung to that cross so that those who believe in him would be forgiven and accepted before God. Accepted because of what Jesus did for them. And God 
can then begin his story of redemption and restoration in their lives. Whether you feel hopeless, like all has been lost or ruined, like Jerusalem, can we ever rebuild? Will people ever come back? Could this ever be redeemed? I've been picked apart. I'm the laughing stock of those around us. Has God been hiding himself from me? But because of Jesus Christ, he can fully forgive and rescue us because God always keeps his word. Would you stand with me? I want you to think about three things. Number one, If you feel far from God, if you're like Jerusalem and you feel far from God, God keeps his word and will rescue because of Jesus Christ. Give your life to the one sent to restore those far from God, and that's Jesus. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Believe he died for you. If you've been waiting and you're growing impatient, like Daniel, understand God keeps his word. Be patient, be obedient. Don't manipulate God's timetable. His timing is always perfect. God always keeps his word. And if we're proud, be humble. He resists the proud. His ways are best. Let's yield to him. I'm going to pray. Would you think about these words and make these words your words as well? Father, Our pride is our undoing. Forgive us for putting our hope and security in self or all I have around me. God, grow in us a humble reliance on you. May we yield to your grand timetable for what is best and not control or manipulate for our desired ends. And thank you for Jesus, the ultimate one you sent to be the true rescuer, forgiver, and leader of our lives. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross to bear our sin, our penalty, to restore and rebuild our lives for your credit, your recognition, your glory. Thank you that you always, always keep your word and that it never fails. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Two things to remember as you leave today, and that is... Um, would you help us by grabbing your communion cup and taking it out with you? There's some garbage cans in the foyer, and that'll help our cleanup crew as you go. 
And then we still are helping with our, um, our helping hand offering. And there's a box that's in the center. There's a smaller box, not our regular giving boxes, but there's a smaller box just for helping hand that helps those in special need in our church and community that we're doing. Those are the two things to remember. And then the third thing to remember is that we love you. I hope you have a great weekend. God bless you. See you later.